Welcome to our second segment of this afternoon's program. It's Sunday, the 9th of May, 2021. It's now one forty-six in the studios of Observer Media. I'm your host, Kareem Joseph. On Monday, May 3rd, World Press Freedom Day, the Media Institute of the Caribbean in a release said that there is an urgent need for access to information and freedom of information legislation and improvements to what currently exists. They added that most countries in our region uh, lack the necessary framework that will guarantee information as a public good. They went on to say that during the pandemic period, there has been a marked increase in the number of refusals for information from journalists. They said that the observance of World Press Freedom Day 2021 focuses heavily on the value of information as a public good. For the Caribbean, this strikes an important chord within the context of the public information in the context of public information as a key component of the achievement of all development goals. This year's UNESCO's World Press Freedom Conference pointed to the themes relevant to our region, media capture and media extinction. In addition to these, we face a threat to to independent journalism and the disappearance of smaller independent media entities. A survey commissioned by the Media Institute of the Caribbean in 2020, uh, that being October of 2020, indicated that as much as 54% of journalists had to seek additional employment due to changes in their newsroom portfolio. The pandemic circumstances showed the necessity for quality journalism and the significance of constant and free flow of information as demanded by the public. The irony of our current situation, the Media Institute said, is that the is the evident significance of the role of the media in a time of crisis, yet we seem to be fighting extinction. On this segment, we'll ask, what are the issues that confront the press in the English-speaking Caribbean? And joining us for this segment, we have Dr. David Hines. He's a political analyst and associate professor at the, Amer the African Sorry, that should be of African American and Caribbean studies at the Arizona State University. Good afternoon, Dr. Hines. Hopefully, Dr. Hines will join us in just a bit. We also have with us... I'm here. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Dr. Hines. Good to have you. Thanks. It's been a while. Yes, it has been. <laughs> also joining us, we have Dione Baptiste. Uh, that's Miss Dione Baptiste. She's a journalist joining us from Trinidad and Tobago. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. And finally, with us this afternoon, we have Mr. Ben Mead. Ben Mead is a former journalist with over 20 years of industry experience. He is a former BBC journalist, a former Observer Radio News director, and has also worked as a senior producer at the Caribbean Media Corporation. He now works as a public relations professional in the Cayman Islands, but remains close in close contact with the media entities throughout the region and serves as an advisor to a number of media houses today. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Ben Mead. Hi, good day and a happy Mother's Day to all of your listeners. Now we'll jump right into it. And, and uh, since you're already on the floor, Mr. Mead, uh, I'll start with you. Uh, what does press freedom mean to you? And is the press in the Caribbean where uh, it needs to be? You know, are, are we actually free in terms of press freedom? 
Okay, well, first of all, um, big questions there. Press freedom to me simply means the ability to do your job uh, as the media, to carry out your job without fear, getting it done, uh, without undue influence, and the ability to uh, report directly to your stakeholders, that is the public, and to keep them informed of relevant developments uh, and providing context of what is happening I think by and large in the Caribbean, we are free. However, there are a number of obstacles. Um, a large number of the media houses are government owned. So sometimes there can be uh, pressures from uh, senior government officials or the political directorate to push a certain agenda via media. So that is real. Although sometimes some of that self-censorship comes from within the newsrooms itself, uh, as well as uh, in private uh, media houses, you do have certain agendas to carry. But I think compared to some other regions of the world, our press in the Caribbean is fairly free. Uh, I'll leave it at that for now. Ms. Baptiste, similar question for you. Where does press, what does press freedom mean to you? And in the Caribbean, in Caribbean press, uh, where, where you have worked, uh, do you consider the press uh, to be free? Okay, so knowledge is power and freedom of the press for me it to me it means basically that as journalists we have the freedom and we're able to do our job which is to keep educate and inform the public without being penalized if the stories that we're telling doesn't sit well with some other members or one sector or a couple of sectors of the public um i agree with Mr. Mead in that largely in the Caribbean, for the most part, the press is free. But as a journalist, I have observed where the government or members of the government could have undue influence over the angle that is taken for some stories. Understood. And, and Dr. David Hines, uh, what role does uh, or should press the press in the Caribbean societies, how well is a press executing its uh, ex executing this role as well? So, so again, what role should the press play in the Caribbean uh, and our societies developmentally, and and how well is the press executing this role already? Well, the press should play a central role in all societies, but especially in societies like ours in the Caribbean. Um, our societies are new societies in the sense that we are recently um, independent countries. And so therefore, um, we are trying to situate ourselves within a larger world and trying to build these societies. And in that regard, um, the flow of information is extremely important. Press freedom for us must always mean um, the right of the people to know what is going on in their society, especially within the councils of government. But it must also mean the power of the people to um, ensure that what they are doing in their normal lives are expressed in the public space. And so therefore, for me, um, uh, press freedom is as important as any human right in the society. And human rights in the Caribbean has always been problematic. I would say that um, insofar as the Caribbean 
um, societies, the Caribbean countries, have been able to deal with the question of descent. Um, that is the context in which I would um, evaluate whether we have press freedom or not. And I would hold that uh, one of the bugbears in the Caribbean continues to be the way in which governments have been unable to deal with dissent. And uh, so therefore, I would disagree with my, um, my two colleagues in, 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 in saying that I don't think the press is free in the Caribbean. They, um, yes, we don't have the kind of ugliness that we saw in the first decade or two or three after independence where we saw the press coming into um, direct conflict with government and, 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 and the banning of journalists and closing down of newspapers. We're not, um, we're not seeing newspapers and, and other um, media. We're not seeing that today, um, but it does not mean that uh, the, um, the marginalization and oppression of the media does not continue. It is just more sucked these days. Um, so I would say we have not made tremendous strides in the direction of press freedom in the Caribbean. Now, Mr. Mead, I want to bring you back in here. And, and I know uh, based on your your work, you're, you're a Caribbean man, especially as it relates to journalism. Um, you've worked in several different countries. What do you think of the relationship between politics and the press in the region? And I'm very curious to know, um, and since I'm Antiguan, uh, what do you think of, of Antiguan Barbuda's context uh, specifically? Okay, well, generally speaking, and I'll get to the Antigua Barbuda situation in just a bit, I do think uh, the relationship is tricky. Uh, we, we live in a society where politicians are either revered or detested, and we see that among journalists. Some uh, see them as gods and willing to give them any right to say what they want to say without scrutinizing their work. And on the other hand, many can be cynical and not... Um, take what a politician particularly says or political entity. I think Antigua has made a lot of strides, uh, not as intimate with the scene in Antigua as I once was, but I do know it is still, you still have quite a lot of political uh, say into how the media is guided. For example, I will generally wait for Sunday or Monday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and that's when I can hear everything that the prime minister has to say about any issue because he has his weekly radio show where he says what he wants on any topic then and it's reported far and wide. Uh, I'm not sure if that is in relation to access uh, to the prime minister to put these questions to him or is it just uh, slight laziness on the part of reporters that, oh, he said something nice, let's put that because this will generate headlines online uh, and it's clickbait. So you tend to see that. Um, in some places, you have strong influence of politics. I've worked in newsrooms where I've been told, don't come back with a politician on tape. We want real people. We don't want politics. I think it varies a bit, but I still think, by and large, in the Caribbean, the politicians loom large and have direct influence. Uh, some reporters are afraid to annoy uh, certain politicians because it could come back to harm them job-wise, economic-wise, or maybe not necessarily directly them, but it could also be uh, relatives, uh, siblings, access to scholarships, uh, jobs in the public sector. So I still think there is an inherent fear among many journalists 
about uh, the politician. And sometimes some have simply become mouthpieces for the politicians. Uh, Ms. Baptiste, does the political culture of the Caribbean encourage uh, respect for the role of the press? Sometimes it does, but I have witnessed where it doesn't always, that isn't always the case. Um, I once worked at a state-owned media house, and the response to politicians, it varied. They... Um, I worked under different leaders in the newsroom in, in, in that state-owned media house. And there have been times where some some newsroom leaders, some head of news, they would allow journalists to operate with journalistic integrity. That was something that wasn't allowed to be compromised at all, but that wasn't always the case, sadly. There have been times where issues would need to be addressed and we have to ask, we're in a position where we have to ask the hard questions so we could do or follow through on our mandate, which is to educate and inform the public. And sometimes you'd ask the questions and you would be, for want of a better word, penalized or put in place because the politicians would call and they would complain, how could you have this person asking me this? Um, if there was full-fledged and across-the-board respect for what we do, then that's something that wouldn't be allowed to happen. So it it comes and it goes. It's not something that's constant, sadly. And Dr. Hines, is the press independent in the political sense? Should it, uh, should it or should it not be? So again, in Antigua and Barbuda, for example, we have several media houses uh, who, who have their own news-related broadcasts. Uh, one one we know very prominently has been affiliated with the Antigua and Barbuda Labour Party for, for years upon years, uh, that being ZDK. Uh, and now we have Point FM. Uh, and you also have Crusader Radio, now I think Progressive FM, uh, that has been affiliated with the opposition. And Observer Media has always touted itself as, as the independent station for the most part. Uh, and state media uh, here being... Uh, I, I guess I, I can say without uh, fair reprisal, the government's mouth m mouthpiece, uh, for, for 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 lack of a better term. So, do we need independence? Do we need political independence? And and uh, is the press, in your view, politically independent? No, um, um, political independence has waned in the Caribbean in general. Um, the, the, the independent space in our politics has really waned um, since independence, and it is getting progressively so. And you're not going to get an independent media if you don't have an, an independent space within the society. So we have state-owned media, which governments treat as their own. Now, state-owned means owned by the people. The government are there to manage the state-owned media, um, but, they, but, but, but they treat it as government-owned media rather than state-owned media. So there's no independence there. And then we have um, these party media, which are going to um, express the party views. But the private media, what we call the private media, I think um, that's where we have the real test of whether there is independence. 
And I would submit that there is little or no independence there because a lot of the private media have to depend on the government for advertisement um, because we don't have a large private sector in the Caribbean. And so far as you have to depend on governments for advertisements, that's where they get you. Because it means, therefore, as my co-panelists have pointed out, have been pointing out here, is that uh, the private media then censor um, themselves in the sense that uh, we don't have the kind of hard-nosed, investigative kind of um, uh, uh, journalism that we used to have in the Caribbean. It was the hallmark in the, you know, the 70s and the 80s, even until um, the, the 1990s, because the younger journalists who are coming on stream now have to roll with the present and what obtains. And so uh, that is the kind of subtlety that I'm talking about um, in relation um, to, to the media. So um, the private media are not independent. And if they're not independent, you're not going to get any um, form of media independence because the party media will be the party media, the state media, the governments will treat them as, um, as government owned. As far as the political culture is concerned, I think the popular political culture among the masses, I think there is still a great respect for, um, for journalists. We will probably, for, um, for the media, we are probably one of the few regions in the world where people still go to the stands and buy the daily newspapers. And, and that says something about the people's relationship to the media and their expectations of the media. But as far as the elite political culture um, uh, is concerned, I think that's where the disrespect for the media, that's where the disdain for the media are uh, is, 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 is concerned. I mean, any region, any country in the modern world that is really interested in, um, in, in information as, as, as a public good, as UNESCO is saying um, this year, will invest in it, will invest in journalism schools, will invest in the training of the journalists. And I don't see that as a policy in the region, there is no there's no media policy coming out of the region in general and the individual countries. And I think that is the test as to the importance of information as a public good as far as our countries in the Caribbean are concerned. Now, Ms. Um, could I jump in here Go right ahead. On, on something that um, Mr. Hines said, um, whether the, the media is respected uh, by politicians, I'll say absolutely not. They love you if you carry a story that reflects them in a positive light. But from the time a story has some sort of negative light on it, and it's not necessarily the reporter's uh, desire to write a negative story. You're reporting on facts and what happens, and then your phone is blowing up, your editor's phone is blowing up, the station manager's phone is blowing up. Uh, how are you guys attacking me? Like, we're not attacking you. I remember having that uh, interaction with, uh, head of government across the Caribbean a few years ago. He said, why you guys always want to do negative stories? I said, listen to me. First of all, if you're going to accuse me of doing a negative story, then we don't have to do the interview. You can ask myself, is the story fair? And if you answer that yes, 
we can then have the other parts. It may reflect you poorly, it may reflect on you positively, but our job isn't here to go at, you, at your throat. But again, as soon as any criticism comes, Caribbean politicians' skins are as thin as silk. Anytime they think anything is slightly critical, they arch their backs and they'll hold grudges. They may deny interviews. They may even bar certain media houses from press conferences. And that is real. And I think as a society, we have to accept that as a reality. And as long as we're willing to speak out about things like this, and then sometimes do the same thing to the politician. If they don't want you to come to their press conference, don't cover anything they say. And you'll see how quickly they come groveling back. That's an interesting approach there, uh, Mr. Reed. And I'll ask you this, though. Uh, do we do enough uh, or, or is enough being done to distinguish between comment commentary and opinion on one hand and news reporting on the other? Uh, and is there a need to differentiate between both? There is 100% a need to differentiate between both. And I think especially in re recent years where you've had more online reporting, the lines have become so blurred. Uh, people take commentary as gospel, and they take commentators and call them journalists. And I'm like, no, no, no. You can be a commentator without being a journalist. And as a commentator, you can put your own insight into things. As a reporter, you're here to report on what is happening. You may provide context. The lines are becoming very blurred. Uh, I heard one person describe as a leading news source, an opinion block. And we, we're falling into that trap where well, I'm not against the openness of information, but in this space where we have what I call the wild, wild west, social media, you have people legitimizing themselves because they have fancy websites, nice graphics, uh, they write compelling stuff that's not well researched, don't hold themselves to journalistic standards, and people run with that information as though it's factual and as though that is news. And that is something that commentary needs to come with a clear disclaimer at the top. When you have an editorial, it says editorial. When you pick up a newspaper and it says commentary, it says commentary, you know what you're getting there. But I find in some newsrooms, and as the newsroom shrink, and you find the same person doing commentary as the same person doing uh, general reporting or political reporting, the lines become so blurred. And then that's where some of the trust in the media goes away because somebody's saying, well, you're pushing a particular angle. Uh, we need to separate the editorializing and the reporting. Those should be two separate and distinct things. But sadly, I think we're down a path where that line is only going to get murkier. No, no, Miss Baptiste, uh, do state-owned or subsidized media houses unfairly compete with private entities? Uh, what do you think of, of that situation? Could you repeat the question, please? Yeah, I was asking, uh, do state-owned uh, or subsidized media houses unfairly compete with private entities? You're asking if they unfairly compete with private entities? Yes, correct. Hmm. I, I don't think, I don't think so, you know. On the one hand, I want to say yes. Okay, I'm on defense. Let me explain why. Um, state-owned media houses sometimes have better access to the politicians if this if the media if the journalists in that media house tend to toe the line that the politicians want them to too right but i have also witnessed where certain leading politicians in in a country would not go like politicians in active government 
would not go to certain state-owned media houses because of issues they have had with what was reported before. So they would do interviews with private entities, but they would not go. They would deny requests for interviews by journalists at state-owned media houses. This is something that I've witnessed as well. So I'm really on the fence. Um, sometimes the advantage is there. Again, it depends on the relationship that the government or the politicians have with the newsroom at the state-owned media house. Um, but sometimes the relationship that they have is better with the private entities. So it, I'm on the fence in that regard. Understood. Now, Dr. Hines, uh, we, we hear often people say who pays the piper calls a tune. Uh, but do do state media houses or governments do themselves a disservice or, or, or uh, do they do the development of the country a disservice, a disservice by having that approach to state-owned media houses where uh, you can't report uh, negative stories uh, concerning the government, you can't, uh, you don't necessarily have the freedom to uh, have stories that may show the government in a, in a view that they don't necessarily want to be in. So effectively, state-owned enterprises act as government PR machinery. Uh, do, do governments do themselves a disservice by treating state media houses uh, in that manner? Oh, certainly. Um, what they're doing is that they're contributing towards um, an, an intellectually underdeveloped um, um, nation, there's no diversity of view. There is no um, um, concourse of ideas. Um, there are no competing ideas. There's no critical analysis. Um, um, what you have is a bland media landscape. And a bland media landscape leads to stultification of people's curiosity. So in the final analysis, if you have that kind of media, you're underdeveloping your own society, perhaps because politicians don't see um, the important role of information flows um, and its relationship to development. They don't uh, recognize what they're doing in the long run to their own society. You know, um, information is critical to development. Whether you're a nurse or you are a, a school teacher or a mechanic or a lawyer, um, information flows in a society are important to you. And, and if you are functioning in a society in which in, in the public space, there is really no, 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 no critical analysis, in private settings, like in schools or in university, you're unlikely to have the kind of concourse of ideas, which is what pushes the society um, forward. I mean, the world that we live in is a really complex world. Um, our Caribbean itself is a complex space. And if you're dealing with complexity and you have a media that is uh, obedient, it, 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 it is uncritical, then in the final analysis, you're not doing any good whatsoever to your society. You are going to produce new generations of journalists and reporters who are uncritical. They come into um, the profession with an uncritical mind. And so you are, in a sense, you are, in a sense, reproducing mediocrity and uncritical analysis in the society. And 
that is un-Caribbean. Whatever you say about our Caribbean coming out of colonialism into independence, we were a curious um, society. Um, um, journalists were pushed around, but they fought back. They stopped their past. They saw what they were doing as something noble. And, 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 and so, therefore, they helped the society. I remember growing up in the Caribbean, and when I look forward to listening to the radio and reading the newspaper, and, and, and as I look back, my own intellectual um, nourishment and development um, was influenced a lot by the media, you know? So I, I have to say, you know, that um, the, the, the way governments are operating, especially the state media, I, I, I think that tradition is beginning somewhat to, to win. Uh, no, be before I move on uh, or transition to another aspect of, of this conversation, I want to ask you this, Mr. Mead. Uh, do journalists then need to hold each other accountable and, and support each other in the face of uh, strong political influence, strong political criticism? Uh, is that what we need to combat that level of, uh, I, I guess, uh, hostility to, to media workers? Yes, 100%. Um the press is only as strong as its weakest link. If we have a weak members of the media there who are also being pushed around, who are not being respected, uh, then it starts painting uh, the whole profession with a broader brush. So if you're working in the same newsroom, you shouldn't be competing against your colleague in the sense that I want them to fail. Yeah, you want to do better, but you also want to have their back. I remember being at Observer once, and there was a reporter who a magistrate called before court uh, because of his reporting. And I said, well, you're going to have to go through me first, because I was the one who sent him to court. And let's have a discussion. And I said, I'm happy to come to your chambers with this reporter, and let's hash out what is right. But I'm not going to send a younger reporter, a junior reporter, before the world's like this. It would be unfair. So I think every step along the way, we have to have each other's backs. We're a team. Uh, and we also need to respect our competing journalists from competing media houses, that they're all partners in this process. Right? It's not that we're competing against them in every facet of the way. We are competing to get the stories out, to have readership, listenership, viewership. But we must also want them to be able to do their job properly. Because guess what? If you are under attack one day and i say nothing and i'm like boy you have it rough what happens next week when i'm the one under the gun you're the one i'm going to rely on to support me but i didn't support you there so i think as a as an industry we need to support each other as professionals and that's where some of the membership bodies come in that can actually act and step in on behalf of reporters and i think that camaraderie needs to be there when I, in my early days in the newsroom, we spent more time together, even outside of work than we did with our families because we developed uh, a family network where we had each other's back. And, and staying with you uh, as we pivot just a bit and, and focus on the public's attitudes towards uh, journalism, uh, do you think the public uh, has due regard uh, for the role of the press? And, and if so, um why and or why not in some instances um i know i've seen times where a politician may 
uh, get aggressive, for example, and I'm just using politicians for this example, you know, I've used it quite a bit, where they get very confrontational against a journalist, say, in a live or recorded interview, and everybody's like, yes, yes, he got him, and he fires some licks there, man, take that. Like, actually, he's combating somebody who's seeking information to get uh, information for the public. I think the public uh, doesn't quite appreciate it uh, as much and tend to disregard stuff based on where their particular biases lie, whether it's political or otherwise. And once we see somebody threatening our way of thinking, we tend to be very dismissive of them as not being credible, not being reliable, not being reputable. And I think overall, we have some media practitioners who are held to a good standard. The public respects them. But I still think there is, in sections of our society, not proper respect. We, we like to big up the people who we hear on radio, see on TV, because we feel as though we connect with them. But when we dig deeper, we really don't respect um, our media professionals as much. We hope we, we adore them publicly, but we're very critical of them. And that is absolutely fine. But I don't think uh, the regard that the press, the role the press plays is properly appreciated in modern Caribbean societies. And when I say modern, I'm talking post 2000. And Miss Baptiste, do enough members of the press understand their role and their importance? Um, I, I would like to say yes, but um, as I was listening to Mr. Hines, Dr. Hines make his previous point and the point that Mr. Me just made, it led me, um, it reminded me of some encounters I've had with some of my colleagues. What happens a lot of the times is, well, too often in my opinion, is that some journalists they tend to be wooed by the attention that we get as journalists and sometimes we lose sight of what our role is because uh, i'm guessing because of the job that we have we have we develop quote-unquote friendships with some of whether it's celebrities whether it's the politicians whether it's athletes entertainers or whatever and we tend to lose sight sometimes sometimes it's for some of us it might be momentary um, but we lose sight of what our role is, which is to educate and inform and to basically be a voice for the voiceless. We have that, that's our mandate, but sometimes we tend to forget that and focus more on ego. And I guess what we, perks of the job, things that we might be getting access to that normal members of the public wouldn't have. So I think that we have, it's important for us to never or try to never lose sight of what our role is, what our job is, and our responsibility to members of the public um, and put, like, take self out of the equation a little bit. Now, before I, I give everyone a chance to sort of bookend this discussion, give their final thoughts uh, for this discussion, I'll ask you this, Dr. Hines. There, the criticism is often made that the press does too little to fact check, uh, you know, verifying and, and corroborating information. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yes, um, I, I, I have to say that uh, in my um, contacts with the media, um, I have found that to be true. Um, but I don't think it is something that is germane uh, um, to the reporters. I think it goes to the wider education system. Because our journalists come out of our high schools, they come out of our universities. And um, our education system has been falling short in terms of encouraging critical thought and critical analysis 
with the onset now of the of of, of the internet, where um, uh, students can go to Wikipedia and pull information and so forth, there is really um, no kind of um, uh, and there's not a lot of critical thought in our education system. And so the, the, the culture of fact-checking, the culture of asking questions and asking for verification is not in the education system. So our reporters come out of that system and they bring that habit um, to journalism. And that habit is an enemy to good journalism. So it is for that reason that I am saying that newspapers, and often they don't, the, the, the media, sorry, I keep saying newspapers, but the media, the private media in particular, um, they may not have the necessary resources to, um, to train uh, or retrain the reporters. And I think this is a responsibility of the government. Um, but, but since governments themselves are hostile to the media, they are not um, investing in that kind of stuff. So, so yes, there is a problem with fact-checking, and like I said, it has, it has, it, it's, it's not, a, it's not the reporters um, who are at fault. There, really, it's the larger education system. And uh, to, to come at a point to, to that. Well, um, Mr. Mead, while while you're concluding, while you're concluding, I just wanted you to uh, once again address the the issues that we face in what what do you think the most pressing issues we face here in the region um, are as journalists, uh, as media workers, and how do we overcome them? What are your what, what are the steps that we need to do or take to overcome them? Go ahead. Okay, uh, a, a big issue uh, is one of immediacy, whereas. Uh, while I am waiting for a news editor or a reporter journalist to verify information before putting it out, somebody who has no media training has put it out on social media, and that has made three laps around the world in the 10 minutes it takes for a newsroom to verify the facts of a story. And the public has already uh, crafted their narrative uh, about something and may not even read well-researched information by the time it comes out, verified information. And I think that is a challenge. Uh, news teams have to know, uh, be adaptive to know that there's first wave of information, second wave of information coming, where you can get the bare facts out and provide uh, follow-up in a very timely manner with context, uh, because we can't wait until 6 o'clock anymore. Everybody wants to have this information and be the first one to know it. Uh, and I think that's going to be a big challenge our newsrooms need to look at modernizing because we still have a lot of talented media professionals but it is how we structure the newsrooms to ensure we have the immediacy and the resources to allow somebody to follow up and provide context uh, provide further verification of facts and supplement that initial story with something more substantive we no longer wait until tomorrow morning to go pick up the newspaper on our way to work uh, that still happens but we want that information now. We want it on our smartphone now. So by the time I call my friends, I have the latest information. And sometimes the unverified sources of information, uh, which people have gravitated to because they feel the media is censoring. No, a lot of the time the media is fact-checking and verifying before putting it out. I remember listening to a media house run a story about somebody dying. They announced the person as dead and one of their relatives had to say, no, I am here with my aunt. She is very much alive. Your information is wrong. But without the verification uh, that that's 
totally irresponsible journalism. So I think uh, putting in place measures to be very competitive in a modern digital environment uh, while maintaining journalistic integrity, I think that needs to happen while being very dynamic and the media should still be playing a critical role going forward. Uh, same question uh, to you, uh, Miss Baptiste. In general, what are the major issues you see media in, in the region facing and, and how do we overcome them? Miss Baptiste, are you still with us? Okay, while while we await the resolution of, of that issue, we'll, we'll go to Dr. Hines. Same question. The biggest issues you see amongst uh, media media entities, media workers, uh, what, what issues are they facing in your estimation and how do we overcome them? Um, I, I've made mention of, of training, which I think is extremely important. Um, I think we always have to refresh um, our, our journalists' talk um, largely because journalists are opinion makers and opinion shapers. Um, the media is an important um, 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 element of socialization. And so therefore, our um, journalists have to, be have to be trained and retrained um, as we go along. So I see that as a very important challenge um, in our region. Secondly, um, it's something that we haven't talked about. But I think the, 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 the salaries and the, the wages for journalists, um, I've, I, I, I was appalled um, as, I, as I find out what journalists, especially those at the bottom end of the profession, the reporters, those who are coming in, um, think we have to do something um, about the salaries for journalists. Because what we're seeing in a number of media houses is that young people are coming into the profession as a, as a stepping stone for something else. So there is no commitment, if you will, to the profession. And I think um, that affects the quality of, um, of product that um, we get. Um, I think um, the question of um, our journalists and reporters and media workers understanding our own region um, um, understanding our countries and understanding that our countries are part of a larger region and that our region is part of a larger world and that the world is really changing at rapid pace and so uh, we have to keep up and those who are um, responsible for the flow of information have to keep up with the rapid changes um, in the world. I think government manipulation um, remains, as I said at the beginning, a big problem. They're not in your face all the time as they used to be in the old days. They're very subtle in the way they deal. And my co-panelists here who are um, media practitioners um, know that and they've given us an account of, of, of how um, the government operates. But governments have to come to grip have to come to grips with the notion of dissent, but more than that, they have to come to grips with the fact that information is an important aspect of development. And finally, I think the media itself has to balance between commercialization and education. Often the two don't go together. Um, um, for a lot of media houses, 
It's about making money, especially the private one. It's about making money. And I think there sometimes there is not the balance between making money and educating the populace. I think those for me are the critical challenges that we face going forward. On that note, I say that. I'm sorry? Well, on that note, I say thanks to our panelists for this segment, Dr. David Hines, political analyst and associate professor of African American and Caribbean studies at the Arizona State University. Thank you so much, Dr. Hines. Thank you for having me. We also say thanks to Ms. Dione uh, Baptiste, journalist joining us from Trinidad and Tobago. She had to leave us prematurely, but thanks so much uh, to her for joining us for this segment. And finally, thanks to Mr. Ben Mead, a former journalist uh, of over 20 years, uh, known for his work with the BBC as well as with Observer Media. He was a former uh, news director here in Antigua and Barbuda. Thank you so much, Mr. Mead. Thanks, and it's always a pleasure to connect with my Antiguan brothers and sisters.